We are not trying to say that we built this thing all by ourselves. We were team players. I am happy to say I know these things and I don't know the other things. So we launched about a year ago and today we're 14 employees in the company. We took in an external CEO to start building our team and he's done a fantastic job for us. I think that's it's an important part as an entrepreneur, not trying to think that you can do everything yourself. I know a lot about golf. I've learned a lot about tech. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, which ties in very good to this. I can only do so much yes. and I am happy to let in anyone who can help us and knows things better than me. And there's no ego motivation here. We just want to help golfers get better, grow the company and reach out to more golfers. And we have the love of the game and that's our drive force. I think that's the strength that we have, the strength to know what we don't know and not have the vanity of trying to show something else. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. And if you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show to learn about all of our upcoming episodes, listen to some previous ones, and to enter our latest golf product giveaway contest. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Marcus Westerberg, who is a former pro golf tour player, golf coach, and co-founder of DeWiz. DeWiz is the world's first wearable biofeedback golf swing modifier. That may sound like a bit of a mouthful, but believe me, Marcus will actually explain it in a much more uh, simple and succinct way when we get him on here. And DeWiz addresses a flawed swing pattern and your brain then auto-adjusts to DeWiz's feedback to gradually modify and rewire your swing to make lasting changes. And believe me, after the round I had this weekend, I need some rewiring, Marcus. So we'll talk about that and so much more. But hey, to get us going here after that introduction, Marcus, thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. I'm glad to be on the podcast. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. So it's morning time here for me in Vancouver. It's evening time for you. So you're in Sweden. So exactly where in Sweden are you joining us from today? I'm at a very southernmost point of Sweden, uh, just below the city of Malmö, not that far away from Denmark's capital, Copenhagen. Ah, there we go. All right. We'll all pull out our uh, Google Maps and find out exactly where that is in a few minutes here. So, uh, Marcus, I always love to start the show off with this question as a bit of an icebreaker, and that has to do with your initial connection to golf. So I know you were a touring pro for many years and as a coach, so well, assuming you've been in the game for a while, but share with us the first time you ever picked up a golf club, what was that experience like? Who introduced you to the game? And also share, I know it's a triple stack question, but also share what you consider at least one awesome magical moment on the golf course that you experienced. So I won't be able to remember the first time I picked up a golf club, but I've been told the story from my parents, who are okay. the ones who introduced me to this fantastic game. I really started playing when I was three years old, following them along on the golf course. We lived up in the north of Sweden, and golf was a pretty new game then. It was only nine-hole course and very few members. So I took my little bicycle, and I bicycled on the course, and I hit some chips and putts. And I think that was a great way to get introduced to the game on the golf course right away. I don't know if I fell in love with the game right away, but uh, very early I did, and I'm so thankful for them uh, giving me that opportunity to this fantastical game that has uh, given so much to me. Wow. So you made such a great point there, and I hear this a lot from teaching professionals in, in what I read, and I started out the opposite way. I was, well, the first time I ever had a club in my hand, what club was it? It was the driver, and of course, the hardest club to hit, 
And that's just so wrong. It's so fundamental in my mind, not as a teaching professional, that the whole idea of the game is to get the ball in the hole. So start close to the hole and move backwards. And it sounds that's what your parents did and you grew a love for the game because your frustration out of the gate wasn't high, I guess you could say. you At least you're able to hit the ball, whereas with driver, you can't. So before we get into DeWiz and your journey in golf, perhaps you can share the second part of that question here. Because we always love these magical moments in sport. It's about creating experiences and, and amplifying experiences. So share with us a, an experience you have or a magical moment, that you, a memory, whether it's a shot that you hit or perhaps a tournament that you played in or maybe something you actually experienced that someone else created that brought you joy in golf. Yeah, that's actually an easy question to answer because to make a long story as short as possible, I played the, the round of my, my life in a golf tournament that's about 15 years ago today. It was second round in the Swedish uh, professional tour event, Scandinavian professional tour event. I kept making birdie, up and birdie, made an eagle, and I was standing on the 18th with a putt for 59. Wow. So uh, putt didn't drop, took the lip at the edge of the hole, but it was the whole experience of just getting into the round, making a lot of birdies. And when I made that eagle on six, I was five under through six and kind of jolted me. And I've been in that situation before where I pulled the handbrake, sort of kind of trying to protect the score because five under through six is a good score. But the idea is that in golf, you just can't push pause and just make a stalemate with a golf course and say, okay, this this is fine. We're both happy. Let's let's get off the course and just card pars after this. So if you do that, you get a short to make bogus. So I knew I had to push myself. So I kept pushing and pushing into that zone of discomfort. And I didn't bail on myself. I kept pushing throughout the round and gave myself the chance to shoot 59. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. And that was an accelerating experience. Just just magical. Wow. I love the, the phrase you used there, that you pushed yourself into discomfort. And I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, not just in the sports space, in all sectors. And one thing we, we talk about is to have the courage to try something new and to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So it sounds like professional golf was a great test run for you to become an entrepreneur. It sounds like there's a lot of crossover there between the journey of to become a professional golfer and to stay at that level and also entrepreneurship. So do you agree with that? Do you think that's really oh, informed you and, and helped you in, as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. In so many ways, as a person, as an entrepreneur and, and being a touring golf professional is very similar. You're in some kind of a constant state of not knowing what's going to happen around the next <laughs> corner. And when you learn to, to love that, I think you're going to love being an entrepreneur and, and the chance to have some success. You gravitate towards the chaos rather than run away from it, it sounds like. Yes. And I think that's a great way of, of, of living life as well, because that's when you experience these, these magical moments. Uh, if you don't take the chance, you, you won't experience that fantastic possibilities that are out there. I agree with that 100%. I think you and I are going to get along very well in this conversation <laughs> here. So love to hear about your early days in golf. I'm putting the ball on the tee here for when we start talking about DeWiz, but I'm very curious to hear the time from your parents put a club in your hand and then you started playing and became a junior and started competing. Before we start getting into DeWiz and, and the benefits for someone like me, a mid-player, a 16 handicapper, Tell us about your, your own experience with your golf swing. How did you develop a repeatable swing? And then how, before DeWiz existed, how did you make sure that it stayed on points? It's easy to get like a 1% flaw in a deviation and 1% becomes 2% and 3% and all of a sudden everything's mangled and you're guessing. So tell us about that of how you then developed your swing to the level that you were able to shoot low and then become a professional. 
Yeah, so uh, the Canadians are going to love this because uh, I played a lot of ice hockey growing up. My swing was influenced, of course, by the ice hockey slap shot. It's been a long journey for me because my, my strength always was the short game and putting. And I wish I had the whiz when I was younger and when I was refining my golf swing as a junior and as a young professional. So it's been a lot of searching. I found my current coach in the late stages of my career. I was about 30 years old or 28 years old. He helped me a lot just to understand the basic mechanics of the golf swing. Before that, I had a lot of trial and error, which was not that beneficial for my ball striking. Understanding your own golf swing is so important for any golfer. Just know what do I do when I hit it well and what are my cues? What pointers should I look at? Because everyone is different. Every golf swing is unique and you kind of need that just knowing your golf swing. A perfect shot for a 25 handicapper is very similar to a perfect shot for a tour level professional. The scoring is made in between there. You score with your bad shots. So the bad shot for a touring professional is way better than a scratch golfer. That's really the key, just to know your swing well enough to be able to hit your bad shots decent or even good. That's when you start scoring. Got it. Got it. That's a very interesting insight, the way you just phrased that there. Okay, so I want to get into the aha moment that you and the team created DeWiz and also the pain points that you saw are the opportunities. But before we get into that, because we are in a podcast here, it's words. We don't have visuals. We will, of course, you and I jump on, on a video call, video recording afterwards for our YouTube channel. So all of our listeners will hopefully become viewers and you can actually see DeWiz in action over there. But for our audience here, our listeners, Marcus, give us the elevator pitch. Before we get into it, tell us what DeWiz is and the pain points that you solve. So me and my co-founder, Christian, we both love the game of golf. And he had a a slice problem, a classical, over-the-top slice problem. So we wanted to do something about that for him initially. But basically, the whisk came about to help golfers improve faster. And we do this through our unique, what we call the learning stimuli, which is electrical impulse feedback when you make a mistake in your golf swing. And this helps your brain not store the bad swings and store the good swings. Hence, you learn faster, improve your golf swing faster. And this was this is the basics for the Wes. And this has been really difficult from a technological standpoint. We can talk more about that. Yes. But thanks to this difficulty, we now also have a lot of valuable data points. Got it. Got it. So our listeners understand. So DeWiz is like a watch-like wearable that you wear on your front. I'm a right-handed player, so I wear it on my, on my left wrist. So you wear it on your front wrist. Why don't we talk about the user experience then of what it would be like as soon as I put the, the wearable on? I kind of call it a watch. Do you call it a watch or you call it a... We a, don't a, call it a watch. We call no, it the DeWiz, so we call it the unit, but it's worn like a wristwatch. Yes. You can actually wear it on both your wrists, uh, but, but we have most of our comparison numbers on the lead wrist, which would be the left wrist for a right-handed golfer. Well, of course, I, I won't call it, okay, I'll call it a unit from here on in. So I'm asking oh, you to D-Wiz. walk us through the experience by myself, or anyone, oh, yeah. for the first time yeah. of putting it on, you're at the range, you're ready to try it and start building some data points. Tell us about that as far as the user experience and the user journey. Yeah, so one thing we're really proud of that I was pushing really hard through development is I want things to be fast, swift. I don't want a complicated user experience like so Mm -hmm. many golf tech out there. So you basically you get started from turning the unit on, putting it on, going into the app in less than 15 seconds, and then you're up swinging. So what you do with the Wiz when you start, you hit five swings 
with a seven iron, five swings with a driver, and then you get your baseline numbers. And from there we can work. Let's say many of our users, they come to us with a slice problem like my co-founder have, and the slice problem is usually set in transition, meaning when you change from backswing to downswing. And going over the top there creates an outside-in swing path and cutting across the ball and creating that slice that, that yes. so many of the golfers hate. And then what we do is we have a number in the, the Wiz app on this transition. So let's say you have a slice problem and your number is you go in over the top by four inches. Or do you do centimeters in Canada? We do both. Most of our audience is American. So yeah, we'll stick with good old feet and inches and yards for, for All right. Well, let's, let's say you're over the top is about four inches. And that's just the cost of your slice. So what the ha- app then helps you with is you can set a threshold that you can only accept to go like two inches over the top. Mm-hmm. And then you start practicing. Start with a practice swing and then with a ball swing because it's always easier in the practice swing. But then you do practice swing and ball swing until you master a transition that is less than two inches over the top. And then you go maybe one inch and then down to an on-plane transition. And then maybe you want to go half an inch or an inch under the top in transition. And this is how we help golfers go from a slice swing to a draw swing. And it can take really fast I've seen it happen in four swings, but I'm not asking anyone to, ex- to, to <laughs> expect that because that was just unbelievable. And in this process, of course, you turn on the learning stimuli, which as soon as you break this threshold, let's say it's set to two inches, anything below two inches is okay. But if you go over above two inches over the top, you will feel it immediately in transition as you break that threshold. And this is the key with the whiz that you get the feedback exactly when you you make the mistake in your golf swing. You have been kind enough to send me a DeWiz unit, so I've started to play around with that. But I noticed that immediately, that it's that, what do they call that, Pavlovian response there? Whether the reward, in this case, I get the stimuli of being in the wrong position, and then the reward is don't do it again, and then you'll start hitting some good shots. And I will say one thing, a little bit of user feedback here. You've got the sensor, the, the buzzing, the, the stimuli from a 1 to a 7. I tried it on 7 the first time. I thought I was going to be electrocuted. Like, it's like... <laughs> Maybe I'm just very delicate. Maybe that's the problem here. But I had to turn it down to two and it was fine. Yes, any higher than that? Like I said, maybe my pain threshold is, maybe I'm just too big of a baby here. Maybe that's the problem. But <laughs> I, I don't know if, if it's because uh, you, you have this Canadian macho style hair starting at seven. We usually <laughs> recommend you start at one because you start at one and you kind of build gradually upwards. Yeah, this is interesting because you can't say who is going to choose which level. Uh, the most common is three and four. Right. Some need to get seven to get that feeling because what's important here, and again, this is not a Pavlovian classical conditioning. It's actually, I won't go into the details because when I do, because I'm talking to this newer professor, Martin Ingvar, who has taught us all about this, how it works. Right. Because me and Christian, my co-founder's idea was, okay, let's make it as painful that you never want to swing like that again. This is not what the Wiz is about. The Wiz is about giving you that feedback at the right time so you can feel it. So your brain can understand, no, that's not what we want to do. And it's all about the subconscious mind, of course, because this is on a deeper level, because that's why it has to be so fast. So it's not supposed to be painful. It's just supposed to be a reminder. That's not what I want to do. But our idea from the beginning was that, and then we talked to Dr. Ringver, and he said, guys, you have everything right, but it doesn't have to be painful. It's not about the classical conditioning. It's called a forward sensory emotion uh, feedback system. 
So yeah, that's how it works. And I recommend that you start on one and go gradually upwards until you feel your comfort level. It should just be slight discomfort and then you know that you're right. Yes. I have to go back through your instruction manual. Maybe it said that one of my many blind spots is perhaps not reading (laughs) instructions and fine print as well as I should. Maybe you included that in there. I'd have to go back and have a look. But yes, anybody out there that then purchases a a DeWiz unit, yes, start at one. Do not start at seven like me. Otherwise, well, you can do that if you don't need a cup of coffee in the morning. If you start off with the cranking your DeWiz to a seven with a bad swing, believe me, you're uh, you're wide awake with that. So, okay. So I'm very- contest there, yeah. Absolutely. So the other thing I actually quite like also is I'm a visual learner and the fact that the DeWiz unit is paired to my phone and then I can see immediately from not only a front view or a side view, and I can move that around in, in space and see visually where the swing was wrong, even though it's reinforced by the biofeedback with the vibration. So I quite like that also. I find that visually reinforces the physical. And I think that's really powerful. And I'm really looking forward to testing a little bit more over the next weeks here. We have the avatar in the app. And the avatar actually swings at the exact same tempo that you just swung. And this we can rotate 360 degrees and you can take a look at your swing and a special look at your hand path lines, which is what we indicate on the avatar golf swing. Yes, yes. So I want to back it up a little bit here. So yourself as an entrepreneur with your friend and your business partner. So when did you first have the idea? Is this something you've had for decades and then the technology need to catch up or where you were in your career and your life, it wasn't quite ready. So tell us about that because our listeners really enjoy the entrepreneurial journey when you then transition from this idea, when it all came together and then you said, hey, you know what, we're going to develop this and then we're going to launch this. So tell us a, a bit about the journey and the early days of DeWiz before even getting a product to market when you're still at that, as we said, the ideation stage of putting this together to see if there was actually a product and a market and a business here. Yeah, so we actually started the company in 2015 and very early on, but first the investor we approached, he jumped on board and really liked the idea and like it was just an embryo, like I said, what we wanted to do. And the first half a year was fumbling around. Okay, we have this idea. We know what we want to do, but how do we go from here? Who do we contact? We can't build this ourselves. This is high tech development. But we did file for a couple of patents very early on which we have been granted now. Then after a while, we got some help and we met up with our current tech development team, which is an outside contractor, and we sat down with them. They said, okay, we had three wishes. We had, we wanted to track the golf swing in real time because you're going to give a feedback in real time. You're going to need to track the golf swing in real time. And we wanted to be able to administer feedback within maximum 10 milliseconds of breach and we wanted, of course, to have an, an accuracy that was very high. We set a plus minus one centimeter accuracy. And they go, with the sensors on the market and the way you want to do it with a, a standalone unit can't be done. No, no. We are now going to take a short break to hear about a company that I really like and support. Attention all you fabulous women golfers. We are partnering with our good friends at Kenyona Sport to offer 20% off your purchase of stylish golf apparel using promo code ModGolf. Save on tops, shorts, pants, skirts, dresses, skorts, jackets, vests, and accessories using the link my.kinonasport.com forward slash modgolf. I included the link in the show notes for this episode to make it nice and easy for you. That's my.kinonasport.com forward slash modgolf to receive 20% off your purchase using promo code modgolf. Happy shopping! So I'm also interesting to learn this because this is a hardware product. So it's hardware, software together. 
as they say, it's, they call it hardware for a reason because it's hard to develop and it's also expensive and takes a lot of time, even more than software does. Not that that's easy either. So I'm very curious to hear, to learn what your first, they call your MVP, your minimum viable product, the first pilot or design that you had. So tell us about that. How did you go about designing the first iteration or version one before even getting to market? What did that look like and what type of features did it have when you were testing it and moving forward on the uh, the design process? Yeah, so very interesting. I want to jump back a little bit to our proof of concept that we did over a long period of time because we wanted to see, is this really helping? Is After those three weeks, they came back and said, we can't do it. And another three weeks, we can't do it, but we have an idea and we worked hard from there. So now we're in late 2017. We want to see, we have this very rudimentary prototype with cables and stuff and everything. But back then it wasn't. So we had a notorious slicer who'd been slicing for 25 years. And we did a session late 2017, I think it was in November, and hit about 25 to 30 swings with the feedback. And then he played, he plays golf all around the world, and he came back in February, we did the second session. And then May, so we're talking about half a year after the first session, I put him on the track, man, to see his, his numbers. And they had changed dramatically. He was excessively out to in. Uh, his swing path, for those who know who that is, was just a cause of the slice. And now he was into out. So he was about seven degrees out to in, and now he was six degrees into out. And of course, his angle of attack, using some, some golf lingo here, had changed a lot as well. He was very steep down on the ball initially, and then he had changed it. So he had a complete revamp. He'd gone from a horrid slice to a push draw, which is every slicer's dream. So we yeah. said, okay, we have something here. Then we moved on from that. We, we put a lot of hard work and money into the design of the product, both on the inside with the PCB and on the outside. So the hardware that we finally launched was nothing at all on the outside of what we tried up to that. But on the inside, it was, it was pretty much the same. So we can do a lot with the hardware we have today. It's just a lot of software development that we can do. And, and it's very easy to work with that, especially uh, from a distance. So you can push everything down through the app, which we do continually do a software updates and improvements to the hardware that we have today. Yeah, that's the product we launched about a year ago. Keep on refining that and making it smoother. And of course, there is a lot of goodie bags to come. Yeah, I know you can't reveal all the secrets right now until you actually launch them, but you're definitely headed in the right direction here with what I can see in the time I've spent using DeWiz so far also. So I'm curious to learn this and kind of expand upon some of the great things you just shared with us there, Marcus. On that journey of trying different features and in your mind, when you start, you have assumptions of what the market really wants. And then you tested it, like you said, with the big globetrotting slicer there and came back and got some amazing feedback from that. So as you started in 2017, 2018, and then started building the product, how have you changed or perhaps enhanced or matured along the journey here with the features you provide? Were the things that you assumed everyone wanted and realized, well, actually that really didn't work or that wasn't as important. And the feedback you got from the users is like, they want more of this and this is more valuable. So that was a bit of a complex way of saying that, but what worked and what didn't and how have you continue with what we call that feedback loop of build, test, measure, and then iterate again as you go. So what hasn't worked that you thought would at the beginning or wasn't really a benefit? And uh, what are you enhancing more that's revealed itself over the last couple of years? Yeah. So one big challenge we've had has been in communication, just describing how to use the WIS and the value for an everyday golfer. 
when I present the West for coaches, I don't have to go two, three minutes like I want one because you see the value because mm. they have the deeper insight into the game. So one challenge we've had is to, to be able to communicate what the whiz does for you. And that's why we're talking about longer, straighter, closer today. The whiz can help you and will help you hit the ball longer, straighter and closer. And we're talking closer about the wedge game, of course. And and that's that's helped us a lot lately. So that's a feedback loop, just getting that what is it? What does it do for me? And then a lot of app work, of course, just to refine the app and make it, make it simpler, taking in some bio data to be able to give more user feedback. This is how you swing when you're this tall. That's going to help out a lot. And some bug fixing, of course, when you have a, a lot of thousands of units on the market, we can find some bugs that we haven't found before. I'm really happy to have a great support team that takes care of all our questions and then take in this and we can be able to help them refine and and fix those bugs. Right, right. A lot of what you said here on the journey of developing DeWiz and your own entrepreneurial journey, I talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs and the ones that I see that are successful, I like the term successful entrepreneur rather than serial entrepreneur, because you stuck with this as a successful entrepreneur. And you've let us know that you're not trying to do everything yourself. You realize you cannot do it all, whether it's the technical side or even with the partnerships. And you bring in other people to propel yourself forward and you let go of certain aspects and, and empower other people in the team to let them grow and participate. So with that, how have you found that with yourself? And uh, I'm sorry, I forgot that your business partner's name. Perhaps you can mention your co-founder's name again. But how did you find at the beginning what was each of your secret sauce? What did you bring to the table? You realize these are our strengths and these are the gaps that we need to move us forward as entrepreneurs rather than trying to do everything ourselves. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question. Uh, my own, uh, co-founder's name is Christian mm -hmm. and uh, we are quite different personalities. Just for an example, he remembers faces. I remember names. That's a great combination. And <laughs> yeah. we're kind of like that in every aspect of, of, of this, this thing. But one thing we have in common is that we are not trying to say that we built this thing all by ourselves, but we're team players and we want to take in place because I'm, I'm happy to say, and he's always here, I know these things and I don't know the other things. So we launched about a year ago and today we're 14 employees in the company. We took in an external CEO to start building our team and he's done a fantastic job for us. I think that's it's an important part as an entrepreneur, not trying to think that you can do everything yourself. I know a lot about golf. I've learned a lot about tech. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, which ties in very good to this. I can only do so much. Yes. And I am happy to let in anyone who can help out us and knows things better than me. And there's no ego motivation here. We just want to help golfers get better, grow the company, and reach out to more golfers and we have the love of the game, and that's our drive force. I think that's the strength that we have, the strength to know what we don't know and not have the vanity of trying to show something else. Well, what you just said there, it really encapsulates, I believe, what your mission statement is, your vision, your kind of your values and your culture. So what you just mentioned there, yourself as a leader, it's, it's great to hear that because, of course, I hear... Sadly, the ego-fueled leader that we could all do it ourselves, or there's fear there. They don't want to relinquish certain aspects, even though they have no idea how those things work, because then they fear that they're going to lose power in some sense. The fact that you and Christian both surrender to that, and that allows you to grow, and you have grown. So that's so congratulations there. So so on that, let's expand a little bit. What do, what do you consider the culture of DeWiz with the team? How do you 
especially as we come out the other side of COVID, we're still working more remotely. And it sounds like some of your tech team may not be in Sweden. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but it sounds like they're kind of scattered all over the world. How do you go about keeping the culture and the motivation and the energy alive and moving forward with the Wiz? Tell us about that, about the, the culture of the company. Yeah. So first of all, we have uh, 10 employees in Sweden and four in the U.S. Mm. We're a Swedish company. And Sweden is, is a country that is non-hierarchical. We have a very flat structure and we're very happy to let everyone speak. And it doesn't matter what your position is in the company. Uh, we just want uh, good ideas. It doesn't matter who bring them out. And the culture is that anyone can tell the founders or the CEO that he's wrong, as long as he can back it up. Yes. He can back it up. But a good statement. We're not proud here. We're just trying to move along as a team. That's really important for the culture of our company. Also, we have these gatherings. We had the U.S. team come over when we did a huge thing for the Scandinavian Mixed, which was the first tournament on the European tour where where men and women played in the same tournament for the same purse. And we had a a fantastic female Swedish winner in that tournament. However, we did a big thing there. We, We flew over our U.S. team. We had a great time. We did some barbecues in the evenings and we worked hard on the golf course during the events. Also, uh, we have some gatherings here at uh, the West Center at Junghusen Golf Club where I'm coaching, where I usually do a little bit tutorials and, and just talk about the mechanics of the golf swing and how technology ties into that and how the WIS shows the cause of the golf swing. And then we look at the, the launch monitors who show the effect. And then we, we tie that in and we're having one of those next week as a full season kickoff. So that's that's important for the culture of our company and just get together. Everyone can speak. Everyone, all of them plays golf, which is great. Yeah, get together and just brainstorm. We love brainstorms because everything can come out of that and just go crazy. Any idea is, is interesting. And then we just kind of filter through that and see what we can do in the short term and what we should keep in the, in the vision for the long term. That's a bit of our culture. Like, yeah, everyone can speak up. That's very important for us. Nice. Nice. I'm just going to tell us a little bit about this without any financial numbers here. A lot of entrepreneurs, the majority of entrepreneurs struggle when they have an idea, whether it's hardware, software, or service, or experience that they're creating. And that is to cross that chasm of the financial piece of that. Whether you bootstrap it, or our listeners out there, they don't know what that is. So that means you're paying for it yourself. You're self-funding your own uh, endeavor. And then you try to get some money, or perhaps you're able to get in market. And then your clients, your customers, are your investors because they're actually buying your product. So you tell us a bit about that, is how you and Christian started out to go from the idea stage because what you're doing here, especially in the hardware development space and you have outside contractors, it takes money. So you can tell us about that, whether you brought in outside investment or about that journey, especially in the early days and where you are, like I said, without giving us any numbers, how you went about getting lift off and getting in market with the product. Yeah, first of all, tech development is very expensive. And when you're developing something that has never been done before, it's even more expensive. (laughs) Yeah, right. So uh, we are very fortunate and we have worked hard with our investors and we have a pretty big investment team that are very supportive and believes in in the product and the company and they've seen the success we had. We had worked a lot on investments and talking to coming entrepreneurs out there that, that just be patient. If you believe in what you do, be patient. You, you, will, you will meet a lot of different people, but in the end, stay true to your dream and you will meet the right kind of investors that believe in you, most of all, and of course, believe in your idea. And we've been fortunate to have that and they backed us up to be so we can be able to do what we have done today and to present the West to the market and to the golfers. 
Right, right. And a lot of people see entrepreneurship through the lens of shows in the US like Shark Tank and think, oh, geez, you just get in front of people and you pitch something and boom, all of a sudden you've got a million dollars worth it. And we know entrepreneurship doesn't work that way. It sounds like you've done the right thing. You've spent many, many years cultivating trust and building relationships because even when you need money for your company, you can't then turn on that tap and then think you're going to get invested within a week or even a couple of months. That's a long-term cycle it that definitely takes takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So can you comment on that a bit as far as how you approach that as far as relationship building and partner building? And we'll even give an example there with your investors. How did uh, you build that relationship that got them to build the confidence in, because it's not just the product, it's about the team and the ability to execute it. So tell us about that, is how you managed to cultivate the relationships to get your investors on board. I think the most important thing is that me and Christian said earlier that we don't bullshit. Mm -hmm. We say it as it is. Sometimes it's not favorable for that discussion right then and there, but for the long term, for the relationship, it's absolutely crucial. And they know they can trust us because we bring them the hard facts, whether they're good or bad. So I, I'd say that honesty is, is the number one. Just, mm -hmm. just And of course, you have to believe in your idea. But if you get that far as an entrepreneur, I'm pretty sure you believe in your, your idea. Honesty, belief in your idea, and don't stop. Keep grinding. And you can have people tell you that you're far out, you don't know what you're talking about, this can't be done, and no one's going to buy this, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't need everyone to say yes. You just need a few. And you need to be able to take those hits when people say they don't believe in you. Well, few have said that they don't believe in our idea, but it's just not the right time or whatever it is. You can have a lot of no's, yes. but you just need a few yes. That's it to get the, that the investments to get you off and, and running. Yeah. So yeah, resiliency is such a key character trait that you need as an entrepreneur. You need to grow a thick skin and not don't think things are a failure. It's more of an experiment. We learn that because we're taught in school, the shame attached to failure. That means sometimes we don't try rather than, I'm sure you're the same way. We treat it all as an experiment. Take what works and do more of that. And what doesn't work, do less of that or get rid of that completely and do that very quick. So hey, the mm -hmm. last question I want to ask you here before we jump over to our, our video call, getting back to lessons learned about entrepreneurship as a professional golfer. Because some may think, well, hold on, that golf is an individual sport. And what you're talking with entrepreneurship with you and Christian, the team really sounds like a team sport. But I know full well, just having a lot of friends like yourself that uh, that have played professional golf, it's not just you, you have a team behind you. So tell, share with that what you think golf has taught you about entrepreneurship. Well, I, I put it in two ways. The first of all, like you said, that, that golf is an individual sport, but no single tour golfer is there alone. There's a family behind them. There is the golf coach, and sometimes you can divide that into short game, long game, whatever. You have the physical part, which is huge because golf has put a lot of strain on your body mentally. And, and it's a big team, financial and everything. So to be able to succeed, you have to be able to handle your team. You can't just act on your own, even though you have a manager, if you reach the higher levels of professional golf. That's a big part of it. But the second part of it is just that golf is a brutal game, and it's a game about mistakes. Looking at a golf career, I just spoke with Sarah, whom I was with in the LET last week. It's just that in golf, you have more failures than you have successes. And that's giving you a thick skin. And it gives you also kind of gives you a North Star. It's like, it's not about the success. It's about loving the journey, which is, can sound like a cliche, but it's, mm. it's, that's actually what it is. I mean, you have to love the journey. You have to love the game, whether it's the game of entrepreneurship or the game of golf. And when you do that, I think you can end up in good places. 
Wow, love that. Well, I think we're going to drop the mic right there and finish with that little nugget of wisdom there that you provided, that and so many more. So, wow. Marcus, so before we finish up here, why don't you share with our audience where they can learn more about DeWiz and the DeWiz app and obviously the unit itself and where you guys like to hang out on social media? Yes, yeah, so we're on, on Twitter, DeWiz Golf, YouTube, DeWiz Golf, and Facebook, Instagram, same thing, DeWiz Golf, and our website, which is brand new. It's going to be really interesting. It's thewizgolf.com, and there's a lot of interesting nuggets there. So please give us a follow and contact our support if you have any questions. Good stuff. And as I always do, I will include all the links to what Marcus just mentioned there in the show notes to make it nice and easy for you out there to click on those and find out what DeWiz is up to. So Marcus Westerberg, the co-founder of DeWiz, this has been an amazing conversation. There's been such insights and inspiration and awesome talking to you. I know we're, uh, what, nine time zones different, 10 time zones here, but it'd be great if we can, uh, we can get together sometime soon and maybe you can see that 16 handicap swing of mine in person and perhaps improve that. Well, hold on, you don't need to because we've got something called DeWiz that I'm going to be strapping to my wrist for our video conversation. So come join us over there. We'll include that in link also below for the YouTube conversation that Marcus and I are going to have. So, hey, Marcus, again, thanks so much for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks so much, Colin. Appreciate it. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.